Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Here we are for another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Howdy, everybody. Harry Alexander with you, uh, Bunker de France. Just, howdy, howdy. just climbing into the saddle, and uh, Todd Roberts is God knows where. <laughs> lost again. He lost again. He gets lost more more times than uh, a sack full a, of squirrels. And a bad gambler. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyway. Have we got our guest there? No, we don't have anybody yet. Oh, just us. Okay. Well, it's just us for right now. Can we just jabber here? I reckon so. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I just got back from down being down at the Empire Ranch. They had their, uh, what was it, Cowboy Christmas at the ranch, yeah. I think it was. And they had a wonderful turnout down there. Good. And uh, got to talk to some interesting people, which was always nice. Got to talk a little bit about our heritage and the show. Uh, got a couple of people. They might be, they'd be maybe interested in listening. Yeah. And Doug Hawkins down there again, our good friend from the WWA, and he seemed to be doing a pretty good uh, book trade. Business, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I come by and I said, I said you're either selling a lot of books or there there's a lot of shoplifting going on. <laughs> and he said, he said I don't worry about shoplifting because shoplifters are illiterate and they don't steal because they can't read. Yeah. Or yeah. at least the good books. Yeah. And, uh, oh, by the way, you know, we had a cowboy Santa down there. Oh, yeah. And I was there, and I just happened to know a little kid was up there sitting on his lap. And he said, Santa, can I ask you a question? And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. of course you can, little, little buckaroo. And the kid says, well, Santa, uh, how, do you, how do your reindeers get their name? How do you name them? Uh-huh. And the old Santa says, well, he says, you know, it's basically memories, you know. I have good memories. Okay, that's, that's why. I'm like, like, take Prancer for example. Yeah, you know, he's always out there frolicking and jumping around in the snow and just having a great time for a reindeer. Right. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, how did you come about naming Donner? And all of a sudden, Santa got real quiet, and just kind of a dark cloud came over him. His late, his, his body language was, you know, like this is this was not a good question. And finally, he big big sigh, and he goes, "Well, it was the winter of 1847, and we, and we were up in the high Sierras, snowed in, and that's how Donner got his name." All right then. Yeah. Todd Roberts is with us, and oh, our, hello, and, and our guest, J.D. Seamus. Todd, go for it, buddy. Go, oh, Todd. Where are you? I can hear. Uh, okay, well, I can it? hear babble, but yeah, not talk. Well, what's happening here is we're going to have to go to the telephone. So you. Oh, keep make on some talking, talking here. Is David with us yet? Uh, I'm not sure where he You're is. I'm not so. sure where he is. Well, I'll talk a little bit about him anyway because that that's our David M. Seamus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, is our guest today, and he goes by Dave or. His cowboy handle is JD, which I think is kind of accurate or appropriate. But besides just being you know, a guy who loves the West and cowboy and all that, he is a 
really super-duper accomplished man. This guy has done just about everything that can be done in construction, real estate, investment, finance. Uh, he's just He's been involved in just so many things. He did more than $6 billion of real estate development. I can't even imagine that. Can you? No. No, I just that's beyond, it boggles my mind. That's got to be that's got to be like the state of Texas where you ranch or something. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, he did real estate development, uh, acquisition, equity, debt, financial transfers, transactions, uh, and he he rose from a hands-on rank in uh, construction. His dad. Yeah. Uh, Big Lenny, I think that was. Uh, he was he was in construction and building, and uh, JD he okay, kind of just he learned at Daddy's knee. He worked his way up. He uh, worked as a carpenter. That's an interesting story. Maybe we can get him to tell that one on how he got to be got through the carpenter ranks so quick. Uh, institutional grade real estate industry. He was executive vice president for a Fortune 500 company, financial services conglomerate. I don't even know what a conglomerate is. It's one of them big things. Yeah, it's one of those big right. financial. We got uh, Bunker. Can you hear me? We got Todd. Yeah, I can and hear you. Todd and JD yeah. on the phone. Okay, so great. So I'm in uh, David's office, which is very impressive. It's full of Revolutionary War uh, 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 artifacts, not to mention old Western artifacts. Uh, and well, that's, that's just, David. It, He's an old Western artifact. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's it's just it, it's. Uh, I hate the word man cave, but um, this this is basically the most beautiful office I've ever been into. And not to mention, it's got a deer in it, and a boar in it, and a bobcat in it, and uh, artifacts from the West, and bronzes, and swords, and badges, and books, and. You know, uh, mm. it, it, I'm going to be moving in, so uh, I'll, and there's no there's nowhere for me to sleep. David doesn't think Can't there's you? anywhere for me to sleep. I'm going to be sleeping uh, in the and there's a beautiful leather chair in the corner. Mm. Well, let's talk him into putting in a bunk bed and we can all move in. There you go. Yeah. Well, and David's wife is beyond beautiful. She's a she's beautiful inside too but she's also a very unique woman she let him have two rooms in this house Ooh. he's got his office and his cowboy room yeah so the jealousy is abounding i have yeah. to be honest with you gentlemen here well, today. I, saw, I saw pictures of his office and i and and the way you described it the, the pictures don't even begin to do justice because it's just a small section and i saw yeah. pictures of his wife and she is she is a beautiful woman well yeah. uh, todd you have a a special relationship with uh, JD, and that he was uh, one of your dad's business partners. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, my dad and Dave were partners uh, for for a long tenure, and they did a lot of great things together. Um, and with all the accomplishments that Dave is so modest, he won't tell you about him. But I could brag about him for probably three full hours we'll on all it. the things he's done. But none of those amount to anything comparatively to the thing that I've always said that he did, which is completely impossible, and anyone who knew my father would not believe it ever happened, <laughs> which is he got my dad to go stay in a tent for two weeks in Alaska. <laughs> wow. Oh, I and, bet your dad uh, was happy. 
uh, my mother was extremely happy. My father was. Uh, Thank you. He came back and he said to me, he said, "I said, wow, you were up in Alaska. Was it beautiful?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "Was it exciting?" He, "Yeah." I said, "Were the people, were the guides really great?" "Yeah." Is all guns, Dave's knives and guns, great? Yeah. I said, "So, Dad, what's the matter?" He goes, "I'm going to go to bed." For a year, yep. and you can come knock on my door then. Yeah, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I spent a, a, a year in Alaska and uh, out in a t- not always in a tent, but in a tent sometimes. And uh, yeah. uh, I'll take the desert any day. Thank you. Well, you were you were there with Uncle Sam. Uh, yeah, my, my uncle sent me there. And he doesn't always give you the best accommodations. He never did. Never did. Yeah. Well, I got so, a question before we go any further. Yeah. Uh, does David prefer to be called David, or because we're voices of the West, does he prefer to be called JD? You, you can tell me either, but uh, I'll answer to either. Certainly, all my cowboy buddies do call me JD. So consider your voices of the West. You feel free to call me JD. Thank you. Thank you, David. Or excuse me, Mr. Seamus. Uh, no, <laughs> that's my father. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. I don't know if you heard the first part of the show, but I was given some of the some of the Fortune 500 information about you because uh, we're not going to deal too much with that because that's that's business and we're about fun. But my God, what you've done is just unbelievable. You, you know, guys, a, a lot of it. I tell the story to, and I say a little bit of, a little bit about it in the book, but. You know, I come from fairly, you know, my dad was a successful builder, but we we, come, we grew up in the town of Santa Clara, California. You now know it as Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. but fairly modest, you know, called an upper middle class family. But we grew up at a time when Santa Clara was not Silicon Valley, but rather vineyards and orchards and uh, prune, uh, prune farms and, and, and strawberry fields. And it was mm-hmm. just a beautiful place to grow up in the 1950s. And yeah. People would always say to me, well, how the hell did you learn to be a cowboy? I said, well, guys, it, it wasn't Silicon Valley when I grew up in the 1955 and 56. Mm. I learned to ride horses with Buck Nord stables up in San Jose and clean out the horse stalls. And I just, I love that uh, way of life ever since I was a little boy. And as I grew up and became a successful real estate developer, I was able to buy a ranch in Montana and, and set up a guide and outfitting a, a backpack operation. Uh, and, and just my whole life has been pretty much that, even more recently with 20 years running the Rito Rodeo cattle drives. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, and pushing 500 head of rope and steers over five days and delivering through the streets of Reno. So I've always loved the cowboy way of life. And here in Orange County, California, Newport Beach, sometimes people will come up to me and I had a lady just say this last night. She, she comes up to me and she could have my cowboy hat on and she said, are you a real cowboy? I said, well, compared to you, I'm probably a real cowboy. But yeah. compared to my real cowboy buckaroos, no, I just sit a good saddle. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's like I always say, there's all kinds of cowboys. There's a drugstore and whatnot. But the main thing is the cowboy that's cowboy in his heart. That's right. Exactly right. And I was telling Todd earlier, I used to, uh, when people would come in from all over the world to, to participate in the Reno Rodeo Cattle Drive, I'd give about a 15-minute dissertation in the very beginning of the cut drive in front of all these folks, and I'd do it in old Western jargon. And they'd say, what's a, what's a, what's a real cowboy? I said, well, I'll tell you what, a real cowboy is a guy who rides the range in the middle of the winter and comes down with a broken fence and repairs it. Then he comes across a baby calf, and mom just drops the calf and picks up the calf, puts it on his horse because it's snowing colder than hell, brings it up to a line shack, puts it in bed with him, 
wipes it down, lets the mom come in, feeds them both. The next day, and the sun breaks and sun comes out, it's still about maybe eight, nine degrees. <laughs> he takes that calf and that mom back down to base camp and gets them all settled in. And he does that for no applause, no trophy. Nobody congratulates him. He does it because it's the right thing to do. And he does it for 25 back in the old days for 25 bucks a month. And That's what a cowboy is. He's about honesty. He's about integrity. And he's about doing the right thing. Yeah. So if you live your life that way, whether you're a cowboy or not, you certainly are the cowboy way of life when you're when you when you make a commitment to something, you stand behind it, you do it, you honor it, and you do the right thing. That's what a cowboy is. JD, what happened to that ethos? You know, I think quite frankly, and I you know don't want to pick on a lot of the, the younger generation, but a lot of this came. Why from, not? You know, it's people. their fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> blame it on the kids. It is. You know, when when you start doing this stuff, that everybody gets a trophy. I tell the story, you know, when they say, David, how did you get where you are? And I said, when I was a kid in high school, and some of my friends I know are listening now, I was the, I was the president of the Letterman's Club and all that stuff because I was a great speaker and spokesman. And I was a decent athlete, but I wasn't any great shakes, certainly not even college material. I wasn't even great shakes in high school. But I, I played football, basketball, baseball, and all my buddies were far better than I was. But, but I was a good swimmer, and actually I thought I was a great swimmer. And then till one day came after two years swimming for my coach, who started becoming famous because people from around the country were coming to train underneath him. I was swimming 100 meters in the sixth lane, and after I did my flip turn and hit the final back end, when I came to the final count there, I looked up and five kids were out of the pool and one was dry. I came in last place. And I said, what the hell am I doing in this pool? Well, that kid that actually came in dry, his name was Mark Spitz. Wow. Yeah. And I swam for Coach George Haynes of the Santa Clara swim team. Wow. Uh, actually, swim club. I wasn't part of the swim team. And these kids were, you know, I would had no business in that pool, and I quit. I said, that's it, Coach. I got no reason to be in this swimming pool with these kids. They're, 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 uh, to say that I'm out class, I, I don't belong here. So the coach gave me a hard time because he was also the history coach in Santa Clara High School. He would, every week or so, he'd see me in the hallways, and he'd say, Seema, 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 she could have been a great swimmer, but you lacked the commitment, you lacked the desire. You, you wouldn't be willing to put the work in. So I understood. My senior year, when I got to graduate, he comes up to me and he said, David, I want you to do me a favor. One day, I know you'll succeed at whatever you choose to do, but don't ever give in, don't ever give up, and don't ever say quit. And that's who the book's named after. Coach George Haynes, three-time Olympic head coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's you know. I, so that I, was the motive. You know, that was that was the motivation behind what drove me yeah. to look at for those of you that are listening, or young kids, or all of us. Follow your dreams. Believe in yourself. If you fail, get up again. If you fail, get up again. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Right. Do the right yeah. thing. Keep your nose to the grindstone, and one day you'll succeed at whatever you choose to do. But most importantly follow your dreams and if it means you're a renaissance person and you're not great at anything but you're good at a lot of things embrace it enjoy it and go make your life happen well that's the old cowboy code you you never quit that's right exactly right and that's and i call i was i was thankful at this time i was the chairman of a worldwide chemical company and the partner of the united states naval air systems command in 1999 and i picked up the phone and called coach george Haynes in carmichael california just outside of sacramento to thank him and five years later, he passed away. He was a great man. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, your your book is just uh, it's it's amazing because I'm not you know I'm not I'm not a business oriented person, and but you detailed so much your business career 
Dad, I almost I almost feel like a billionaire. <laughs> but I know I'm, I check my I check my checkbook and and I'm not. Must be in the other. But I tell you, you know, you, you, and I love those little. I read I, I read it at the library, so I read about half of your book because you know they skip pages there in the library thing. Sure. But uh, it was great, and I also got to say, I spent Friday. I spent about I'd say about three hours with the cattle drive, just looking at pictures and and film strips and some of the years that you did it and some of the years after that, and. I, one thing that amazes me is the poor cows. They were outnumbered uh, five to one, ten to one. I don't know whatever it was, but but it just but it, you could tell the people were just they were just they were in rapture almost. You know what's so cute? Sometimes people would come up to me and they'd say, "Hey, JD, you know we've got this four-headed hare, sometimes five hundred head, three hundred head, but generally around three, four hundred head." They'd say, "You know, if we were guest drovers and you're fifteen real cowboys." How many would it really take to move this herd five days to the streets of Reno Rodeo? I'd say probably three cowboys and a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you got a good dog, yeah, that's that's good for that's good for three. There, yeah, absolutely. We, and once in a while, once in a while, we'd have a couple of Aussies that would join in or border collies. Mm-hmm. And uh, but generally, it was just the folks. What we would do. A lot of these people, many of them had never ridden before. Some of them, yeah, horse push cows. So we uh, we taught them how to how to handle the herd for the first day and the second day and by Wednesday the third day we turned the herd over to them teaching them how to move a herd mm-hmm. of cattle because the last day was the most dangerous day because right. now you're your nose to tail and you're pushing 300 head of Corriente roping steers down the streets of Reno Nevada for two hours to get to the grounds and you've got thirty thousand people lining the streets many with, yeah. with baby carriages so it's a pretty dangerous time and and we had it spend four days getting everybody ready for that last day coming through the streets of Reno. All right. We want to talk about that uh, uh, cattle drive uh, through the streets of Reno when we come back on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France and Todd Roberts with you. J.D. Seamus, our guest. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out. Is a just a Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. Imus Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're darn to. I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. We have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. You've got to the count of three to say your prayers. Then I'm going to finish you off. One, two. This is the Voices of the West. All day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water. Ooh, water. Oh, Dan and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. We're back on Amel Frenzy's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. J.D. Seamus is our guest. And uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, Squirrels in the houses. We got all kinds of things happening here. <laughs> Apparently, we were having issues with our live stream, which uh, I think has been repaired now. Not that anybody's going to bother with it. Yeah. Yep. Anywho, all right, let's uh, move on here. Did you notice that the, when he was threatening him, he's going to get to count of three? He only got to two. Why is that, Bunker? Why do they never get to three? Because uh, bad guys can't count. Or they're cheaters, <laughs> out of both. That's our that's our answer. <laughs> you know, I want to go. I'm going to go way, 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 way back, uh, JD, or Mr. David, or Mr. Seamus. Uh, a little kid sitting on the corner, wearing his Davy Crockett coonskin hat, singing "Home on the Range." Is that uh, an indication of how your future was going to turn out? No, no question about it. I remember. I actually remember it vividly. I talk about it in the book. And that family, the Colici family, became dear friends of mine for all my entire life. I'm still in touch with Kathy uh-huh. uh, Colici, who's a, one of the daughters of the six, and Noni and Aldo Colici, 
she would come when I'm singing the home on the range down on the curb. I'm about three years old. And she'd come out and say, Davey, don't don't leave the street now. But I was in little danger because we, we, we're only two two houses away from a dead end. So, <laughs> But she always watched me, and she watched me grow from there into the, in the high school. And they, they became almost like my second family. Well, when did you get your uh, set of Mattel Fanner 50s? I, had, I only had one. When did I get my what? Your Mattel Fanner 50s. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. I got my. I think my dad got me that probably in about 1955, maybe 56, around that time frame. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later is when I got my got to get my picture on the little pony. And that was really that was really special oh, to me. With the really Angora Shaps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with that, I kept telling my parents I wanted to buy. Remember, the, the photographer, he put those little outfits on you. But I told my parents I wanted to buy that for me. And I think the following Christmas, they bought me a, a few little cowboy attire things that I could start wearing when I was about nine years old. And, yeah. of course, as all of us, in those days, we were watching Gunsmoke and and Wyatt Earp and The Lawman and, and uh, all the great television shows, uh, Bonanza, obviously, later. But uh, all those shows I grew up with. Yeah, my was, brother my brother was the tennis player, and oh. he was kind of the collegiate guy and, and did great in school. And I was always a little, not quite quite as smart as my other siblings, but I was always the cowboy, and he was always the golfer and tennis guy. And that's <laughs> the way we were most of our lives until I talked him to go on the cattle drive with me, and he did that for me, with me, and uh, for actually for 20 years. Well, he ran the bar, right? Yeah, my brother was one. Of, he had a radio show, by the way, in Reno, Nevada. Yeah, I uh, about that. Yeah, Len had a radio show. He was he was a little bit uh, right of uh, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you guys would have loved him. Yeah. And uh, he, I lost him last year. He passed oh. away. But he was quite the character. He he was one of these guys. We'd put him in the bar. He'd start telling jokes. Sunday afternoon, and he wouldn't stop until Thursday afternoon, and he never repeated a joke. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. He could go on and on and on, and we had half, uh, half well, everybody in there uh, on the cattle drive, uh, men and women, were usually falling in laughter on the ground. Let's talk about that cattle drive that you do. What was the impetus behind that? You know, in about 1992, uh, a great old friend of ours, uh, Dr. Stephen Milstein, came up with the idea of putting this cattle drive together. It might have been 91. I think it was 92, 1992. And he approached Reno Rodeo. He was a Reno Rodeo member and uh, very connected with the rodeo. And he said, look, it, you know, we, we need to put a cattle drive on, to put a real cattle drive on, and let's make this like the, the epitus of Reno Rodeo. Let's, let's make this like the, the elephants when they were promoting the circus. Yeah. So that when the Reno Rodeo cattle drive comes through the streets of Reno, people know it's rodeo time. So they talked him into it. Uh, he talked him into it. They put their first cattle drive together in 92. I was not on that one. Uh, my first cattle drive was 1995. And the first one, they had Tony Lama as a sponsor for the first two years. In fact, Sam Elliott went on that uh, cattle drive, and they had a bunch of a bunch of old cowboys go with him, and it became a tremendous success. Uh, and I joined in 1995. Uh, and then what happens, every usually every three or four years, we change out the trail boss. And in 2007, after my 11th or whatever that was, uh, yeah, 11th year or something like that, they came to me and said, David, you want to take over the sponsorship of the cattle drive? And I said, well, I'll do it, but you got to let me do it my way. And they said, well, what do you mean your way? I said, well, you know, no offense, guys, the cattle drive itself is spectacular. But you got people flying from all over the world. They get on a bus, they go out to cattle camp and watch people set up tents. That's not the way you hold a cattle drive. And I said, well, what do you got in mind? I said, well... Can I do it my way? If, if I can, I'll be the sponsor. And they said, have at it. It's your show to run. 
So we changed the whole deal up, and a lot of that is in the is in the book. But we would do it where people would arrive, fly in from New York, from Portugal, Spain, uh, Japan, Australia, from all over the world, and they'd fly in on a Friday night. We'd put them up at the Peppermill Hotel and Casino in Reno. Saturday at 8 o'clock in the morning, we'd have a stagecoach, better known as a motor coach. 60-passenger motor coach would show up, and all the people would pile on the motor coach. And we'd take them to three of the local cowboy western stores, D-Bar M, uh, an old buddy of mine, Jack Bassett's store there in Reno, and we'd go to Shepler's and the Boot Barn. So people could get, you know, whatever they may be, from uh, stampede strings to uh, maybe shafts, whatever they were missing. So we'd get, we'd get, let them do their shopping, come back to the hotel at noon. They put their gear back up. Then we drive up to Virginia City to spend the afternoon at Virginia City at the Bucket of Blood Saloon, <laughs> put down a few libations, let them enjoy the afternoon, have a great time, back to the hotel for an hour, pick them back up, and take them out to a Basque dinner uh, in downtown Reno. And the next morning, they would, the motor coach would then pick them up and show up at the rodeo grounds and all the people would be there for safety and you know we'd go through a safety speech by the trail boss they meet many of the cowboys trail hands and that's when jdk hill u.s marshal myself would show up and give them an intro as to what this was all about and i'd tell them look we have to get out of here it's almost nine o'clock and we've got to we've got to leave immediately because uh bad man jose and his uh, outlaw comancheros may may show up and try to kidnap some of these folks and uh, I'd pass out these silver dollar coins for them just to keep in the event they got kidnapped, they, they could use that as ransom. So we would leave the grounds and, and drive in uh, uh, Reno back into California. But then what happened, the, the motor coach, we come to Red Rock Road, turn right to go to cattle camp, and about a quarter mile in, the big hairpin turn, and you come back into Nevada, and there's a sign there that says entering Nevada, and right there, there was bad man Jose hmm. with his Comancheros, about 18 of them. <laughs> They'd hold up the motor coach, kidnap them, shoot the marshal, myself. No. Uh, and, of course, I, ha- I had a CO2 uh, uh, backpack and, and behind me, so actual blood was squirt out. They bring me to town. <laughs> and all these people actually thought, son of a bitch, they, they shot JD. They actually shot him. <laughs> so they would kidnap him and take him to the thriving metropolis of Doyle, California, population of 850 people with the Doyle Hotel Inn and the Buck Inn Saloon. And they'd let them have their last supper, and everybody could get a you know, pop oh, and something so to eat. And at that point, all of a sudden, you hear this good, the bad, the ugly music playing, and then pretty soon High Noon starts playing on the uh, speakers from the front of my Dodge Dooley pickup truck, better known as a Rolls Royce in Nevada. <laughs> and uh, I would show up uh, again with a sombrero, almost looking like with a serape over my shoulders, like Clint Eastwood. You couldn't quite see who I was. And I'd throw that back, and here would come Wyatt Earp, Virgil Earp, Morgan Earp, and uh, U.S. Cavalry horseback. We'd get into a gunfight, and obviously we'd end up winning. And uh, Badman Jose would go to the ground, and I'd tell people to grab a rope and bring it. We're going to hang them. So we'd take the rope, put it around his neck, and we throw it on a tree. I remember now we're in California. We throw it up on a tree, and I tell everybody, stop, stop right here. You can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? I said, we're in California now. I said, what the hell's that to do with it? We're in California. No, they hug trees and kiss people there and shit. You, you, can't, you can't hang somebody here. So then we take them to the bar, and everybody would have shots of tequila, and then we'd go to cattle camp, and that would start the cattle drive. So wow. we, we gave them a whole wildlife, a wild, the Wild West experience before the cattle drive started and on <laughs> Sunday. This whole story, you saw it in my book, the whole story is told in a poem that I wrote. I was going and to that ask poem that. actually tells the story of the cattle drive. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you, because I looked at it, and the, the 
what they had on the computer didn't say who had written it, but I figured it was you because of your uh, your cowboy anthem. Yeah, I wrote I wrote the poem, and then we got the governor uh, Brian Sandoval to sign it, and Senator U.S. Senator Dean Heller to sign it. Obviously, the trail boss, myself, and the and the president of Reno Rodeo, and then we presented it to everybody in a big, huge parchment paper at the end of the cattle drive, and everybody got the uh, the uh, the poem. And of course, the poem is told in Old West jargon, but it tells the story of how the cattle drive begins, and all the way through the final day when we come through the streets of Reno, and then deliver the Corriente steers to the Reno Rodeo, which are used as as roping steers uh, in the rodeo. Cotton Rosser of Flying U Rodeo would provide mm-hmm. the steers to us, deliver them up to Doyle, California, about 50 miles north of Reno, and then from there we'd push them four and a half days over the mountains through the streets of Reno. Logistics, logistics, logistics. Hey, you, you think about that. <laughs> well, the legit, believe me, the Reno Rodeo Cattle Drive Committee, in fact, I've had people tell me, well, David, you put the cattle drive on. I said, guys, guys, hey, mm-hmm. I'm one guy. I was the sponsor to put on these special things I just described, but the cattle drive committee was 45 people strong. Wow. We had 10 covered wagons. You've got wow. logistics of dealing with BLM. you got hay, water, horses, wow. 120 head of bovine. you got four, you know, 300, 400 head of bovine. You, there was a tremendous amount, not to mention the camp cooks and the chefs and the people that were involved in putting the Reno Rodeo cattle drive from Brad Seidner, my old friend who was the trail boss and Butch Van Leuven to uh, by Wayne Lund, who was president of Reno Rodeo, and an old, actually, rodeo cowboy, uh, originally from uh, from Elko, Nevada. Mm-hmm. D- just a cast of characters. In fact, I tell one story, if we got a moment here before the break, I'll sure. tell you yeah. about this famous man by the name of Cecil Jones. He was there on the first cattle drive I did in 95, and I went up to him with my brother, old cowboy. This guy was a gnarly old cowboy. About well, He had to be 78, 80 years old then. And we'd, he'd always get up, but, you know, like stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning drinking with the cowboys, and then he'd be saddling up at 4 a.m. <laughs> so I went up to him, and I said, Cecil, how the hell do you do this at your age? What, what's the secret? He said, well, Dave, it's real simple. Get a good good bit of grub inside of you, have a couple of Jack Daniels, and catch a nap before morning. And I said, okay. Well, this went on for about four years, and on the fifth year, we leave on the second day. We're on our cattle camp, and we go to the bottom of a mountain about 500 foot before a the base of a, of, a, of a big mountain, and we rode deer the cattle. In other words, we had no corrals. We just had to rode deer them, meaning mm-hmm. cowboys had to encircle the cows. We let the guests go eat. And we watched Cecil riding off under the sunset a bit, and we don't pay attention. About half an hour later, we see him. He's on top of this mountain, 500 feet up. We all look up at him. He looks down and us, gives a wave, and he goes, Yahoo! He jumps off that mountain with his horse. I've never seen horsemanship like this in my entire life, except the man from Snowy River. Wow. <laughs> that man rode that horse down full, full gallop down that mountain. And you guess what? The last two-thirds of the ride were captured by NBC Channel 4 because they were with us. Nice. And he run down the mountain. All the cowboys said, what the hell are you trying to do, kill yourself? <laughs> he said, no, that was just the shortest way to come down. There you go. That's right. Well, as it turns out, Cecil Jones is in the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Should be. Uh, inducted uh, in 1997. He won the Reno Rodeo in 41 and 48 and the Houston Rodeo in 46. He's wow. one of the most famous cowboys of all time, and I had the pleasure of riding with him for 10 years. You know, there was a, an old cowboy out here in Tucson. He was from Montana originally that was like that. And, you know, they could say, you call him down off the top of the hill, and by the time he got to the bottom, he'd be packing a cord of wood under the saddle horn. Yeah. <laughs> you, you must have a lot of folks who uh, do a repeat 
uh, visit, I would suspect, uh, in, in participating in the cattle drive. Am I correct in that? Yeah, you know, early on we did. We had a lot of people that would come three, four, five, a few of them five, six years, and they, they kind of we start, start trying to poo-poo that a little bit so we could get, because the waiting list became so big that so many people wanted to put this on their so-called bucket list, mm-hmm. we decided not to, not to encourage that. Mm. But we did have a lot of repeats for, for many years, and of course... My brother and I were the biggest because we, we went for 20 years but uh, <laughs> in, in the, last, the last 10 years as, as the sponsor. But there was a lot of great people on it. One time I had this beautiful lady who was on it, maybe 36 years old, quite a cow, cow hand, rode really well. I was talking around the campfire with her, and I said, uh, Cheryl, you know, you handle yourself on the horse pretty well. Uh, you've been around horses? She said, yeah. I said, what do you do for a living? She said, well, I'm with SO14 which I have a lapel pin that she gave me. I said, what's SO14? She goes, well, that's basically the Secret Service. I guard the Queen of England. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what SO, uh, Roman numeral 14, she's, that's basically Secret Service for the Metropolitan uh, Police Department of London. All right, we got to do our next commercial break here. Okay. On Caramel Franzi's Voices of the West, J.D. Seamus. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and John Roberts with you. We'll be back. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but blank henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent hench to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent a hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. 
Hi, my name is Roberta Shore, and I play Betsy on The Virginian, and like to invite you all to listen to Voices of the West. On Amo Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. Uh, um, uh, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. JD Seamus is our guest, and uh, he's in JD's office. And Todd is in JD's office. And we we, we play the uh, the theme there to uh, the uh, the High Chaparral JD because I'm familiar with that. Yeah, because Mr. De France was in 52 of those episodes. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Somebody's got to fall off the horse. I know, and he falls real good. Yeah. Can't well, get up. Well, speaking of falling off a horse, uh, J.D. Cahill fell off his horse at the Los Caballeros ride Ooh. Uh, just about three weeks ago. Oh. And uh, I, I think it's funny if he tells that story. But before he tells that, I'm going to tell my favorite my favorite David Seamus story. Okay. Years ago when David was single, uh He's married to a beautiful lady now by the name of Susan. But years ago, he was single, and he had a lady friend staying the evening at his home. And David is a big North American game hunter. And he had a grizzly bear in his bedroom. <laughs> and uh, not everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Was it On its hind legs. So it's, a, it's about nine feet tall, and it's both arms are stretched out in front of it with its paws, so it looks like the mo- the, the bear in the movie The, Gri- the Grizzly with uh, 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 Clint Walker, mm-hmm. and uh, she had got up to go to the, to the ladies' room, to the bathroom, and David is in bed and he's asleep, and all of a sudden there's this horrific scream, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> and David hops up out of bed and he goes, what's the matter? She goes, there's a man in the room. He goes, no, that's my bear. <laughs> I mean, she goes to the bathroom. The problem is she didn't quite make it through the door. <laughs> oh, that's great story. That's funny. That was quite the, uh, I've had a few of those experiences with that same bear. When my, my, my little children, well, my, they weren't little then, but when they were my daughter, my oldest daughter was a teenager. My daughter, Wendy, had Wendy, Amy, and Greg. She'd have a boyfriend come over to the house and open the door, and there'd be this huge bear sitting there. And they'd say, "Son, what time are you gonna have my daughter home?" There you go. Yeah. And nice. they go, "Well, well, what time do you want her home?" I said, "I want her home at eleven o'clock." There and if you it's go. eleven oh one. You see that bear? Yep. You're gonna look just like it. And my daughter goes, "Dad, come on, don't do that." Yeah, I'll just stuff you and put you next to the bear. And, and teenage daughters did not think that daddies did that sort of thing, but they do. We're here to tell you they yeah. do. You know, I, I want to go back. I love, I love creeping back into people's past and there's a fellow that you worked for short uh, for a while and fascinating man buck norris oh yeah buck was a great guy in fact i'll tell you a cute story about buck nord buck as you know was an old cowboy and at one time i think had 26 or 24 stable operations around the western united states and i cleaned pens out for buck and rode horse he taught me to ride horses when i was a little boy and when I was a county commissioner for Santa Clara County, so in other words, Buck knew me when I was, let's say, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And then I went off and started working in construction in the summer months, and I didn't see Buck much anymore. When I was a county planning commissioner for Santa Clara County, Buck came before the county 
to get approval, a conditional use permit for to extend his uh, horse operation up in Stevens Creek Dam. And he comes before the county, and, and you know, he sees that I'm up there, and he saw my name, and he goes, that's David Seamus. So we went back and forth, and I talked to him after the chamber, and that was the last time I saw Buck in 30 years. Hmm. And I'm now in Gardnerville, Nevada with my ranch in 1995. Mm. I'm in the Genoa Bar, the oldest thirst parlor in Nevada called the Genoa Bar in Genoa, Nevada. Genoa, just below, it kind of sits between Minden and Gardnerville, only maybe 15 miles east of uh, South Shore Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually the oldest settlement in Nevada, Genoa, Nevada. Mm. So I'm in, the, I'm in this place called the Pink House Restaurant, and I see this old cowboy walk in, sit down at the bar, and I'm looking at him. As you know, if you remember Buck. Buck had a face you couldn't forget. I mean, he was he was truly a cowboy. And he, this guy sits down. I'm looking across the table at him 30 years later, and I'm saying, I'll be a son of a bitch. Buck Nord. And he looks at me, and he goes, my God, how on earth would you know who I am? I said, mm -hmm. Buck, do you know who this is? And he looks at me, and he looks at me, and he goes, son of a bitch, it's David Seamus. <laughs> I hadn't seen this man in 30 years, and it just so happened he just bought the general store in Genoa, Nevada. Now, wow. you talk about a small world. No who kidding. in the heck's yeah. going to run across a guy 30 years later in the wow. town of Genoa, Nevada, with a population of 850 people? Who would have thunk? Yep, exactly. But he was a great, great, a great cowboy and a really a fine, fine man. I have no... That guy taught thousands upon thousands of young young men and women how to ride horses and taught taught them a lot about the cowboy way of life. Well, he also had a, a hand in the movie, Western movie industry, too. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, he was a great guy. Well, well no, he's going to tell us the story of my dad uh, on the uh, bear hunt in Alaska, uh, uh, coming out of the tent at dawn story. Mm-hmm. Here I have Bobby. Now, we, all of us who love Bobby, you know, Bobby was a full-blown, not only a world-famous tap dancer, movie producer, record producer. You know, he was a, he was really a Hollywood guy, always dressed to the nines. Uh, he loved taking his sport coat, usually usually really fine sport coat tweed, and he'd roll up the, he'd roll up the sleeves. That's what they did in Hollywood. He'd have his collar up and have the sleeves up. <laughs> so here we're in Alaska in the middle of nowhere. He comes out of his tent. He's got this. He's got this sport coat on with the sleeves rolled up, and then a Willie Nelson red bandana across his head. And I fell on the ground laughing so hard. I said, "Bobby, we're not shooting a movie. We're hunting grizzly bears." <laughs> but now he said, "Well, David, I, I want to learn how to shoot a rifle." I said, "Bobby, I don't think we should do that." He said, "No, no." He said, and Lynn, I love Lynn Todd's mom. Lynn looked at me. She goes, "No, David, he, he really wants to shoot." I said, "Well, Lynn, the problem is." I don't have little rifles with me. I got big bear guns. This is a 300 Weatherby, and I got a 375 H&H &H Colt Sour. These are big guns. Yep. Leave the smallest gun I've got is a 300 Weatherby. So Bobby said, I, I can shoot it. Yep. Said, okay. <laughs> so I take him down to the range, down to this little area. We set up a little rifle range to sight the rifle, and I said, Bobby, this has a Weatherby scope on it. I want to make it very careful to you. When you fire this, I want you to hold this right up against, lay down on the ground. I want you to put this right up against your shoulder, nice and snug. Do not keep it loose. She goes, why? Because that, that gun's going to kick, and you're gonna, it's going to hit you right between the eyes, and you're going to get what we call a Weatherby eyes. Uh -huh. You're going to get black eyes. Yep. So do not, you got me? I understand. You do understand. Yeah. What does he do? He fires it, bang, right between the eyes. Yep. Blood starts coming down. Between it, just a little bit of blood starts coming down his nose. Now, for the next five days, every time I'm seeing, I can't stop from laughing because he's got now got two black eyes and, and he <laughs> looks funny. And he has a little dry blood over his nose, and it was the funniest thing ever. But I never have, 
people said, well, did you get any bears? I said, hell no, they were too busy laughing. <laughs> they could hear us for 20 miles away. What, what bears are we ever going to get close to? But it was probably one of the greatest hunting trips I ever had in my entire life because I had more fun with Lynn and Bobby. It was just a fantastic experience to put him on a horseback and have him truly have a bucketless adventure, which he, yeah, he, awesome. he was just fell right in, right in love with it. We ever, and my guys fell in love with him. Todd, it must have been incredible for your mom to, uh, I imagine, and knowing your mom as I did, which I'm not saying I knew her great, but knowing your mom as I did, I'll bet she encouraged your father to do all these things, too. This was all my mother. Yeah, yes, it was. Completely my mother. Yeah. I'll tell you a story that David doesn't even know. So they're, you know, they were packing the night before they were leaving in the morning to hook up with David and to go on the trip. And um, so my mom and dad had their bags laid out on their bed in their room and they're packing and they're both packing their own bags and doing the thing. And all of us kids were in the bedroom with them. You know, we're all hanging out because it's the last night we're going to see them for two weeks or more. And uh, my dad is doing what he's doing, packing his bags. My mom's packing her bags and she's, you know, she is just, Ecstatic. She is so happy. She's humming to herself and she's just bopping around the room and like a little five year old kid on her way to see Santa. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the T and the TV's on. And a commercial comes on the TV for uh, a Hawaiian vacation. And I had taken my eyes off of, I was helping my mom, I think, and I look over and there's my dad. He's sitting on the corner of the bed and he's got some items that he's packing and he's looking at the television and he has this forlorn look on his face. And I I go, Dad, uh, what's the matter? He goes, why are we going to Hawaii? (laughs) And my mom said something to the effect of, it's too na- it's too late now. Keep packing. <laughs> she was there was nothing and I mean nothing that was going to stop this trip. And when they were on the trip, they were on horseback on average three to five hours every day. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. And they're on horseback and every time my mom you know, they're all, they're out in the middle of nowhere. I have the pictures. I'll share them with you guys sometimes. There there are pictures where you don't see any. There are there are there are no houses. There are no roads. There are no airplanes. Yep. There are no cars. There's nothing. Bupkis, <laughs> and they're literally out. You know, on the tundra, as it were, the Great White North. Wow. <laughs> and uh, my mom would stop the pack train and get off her horse because she would see off in the distance some uh, horns, some racks that were shed by caribou or other, uh, you know, quadrupeds. And she would stop, stop, (laughs) and she'd get off her horse and walk over and grab them all. And she had, there were so many sometimes, she'd have to make two or three trips. And David or the leader of the pack train would go, to one of the other cowboys, uh, guys, get off and help her. We'll be right. here all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She brought back, I think, oh. I, I'm almost positive, six to seven pair of caribou racks. Wow. Do you have any of those anymore? Any left? <laughs> I still got them. I still got them. 
They're yeah. all in storage. Good. I remember when I remember when when this whole thing started. It was Lena who approached me, well, not Bobby, and she says, "David, when are you going to do your next uh, grizzly or brown bear hunt?" I said, "Well, I'm going to be planning one this fall, but we want to go with you." So I kind of chuckled. I said, well, that, you, you're kidding, right? She goes, no. You know, Lynn. I said, Lynn, you're not serious. She said, yes, I'm serious. We're going with you. I said, Lynn. She said, David, that's it. We're going with you. I'll take care of Bobby. I said, okay. <laughs> that's how the whole thing started. In fact, wow. after all of that, after that, many years later, and it kind of segues from that, that hunting experience. So about 15 years later, Bobby calls me up when I was the chairman of Metalast up in uh, Minden, Nevada, Gardnerville. Bobby calls me up in about... I think it was maybe 2000, 2001. He said, David, we're doing a remake of Monty Walsh with uh, Tom Selleck. I said, yeah. And Lynn wants you to be uh, in the movie. I said, be in a movie? Doing what? Well, you, the, the guy who's the ranch foreman, he's going to run. He's, he's kind of the ranch. The, 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 the actor is the guy who's like the, the general manager of the ranch. I said, well, I can't remember that role from the original Monty Walsh. He said, well, we want you to be that guy. I said, well, I'm not an actor. They said, you don't have to act. Just be you. <laughs> says, don't act. Just, just be you. Just get on the horse. Just do what you do. I said, okay. So I agreed to do it. And then about six months later, I get a call from Bobby. He said, okay, David, we're going to be shooting in Canada. I think it was Arizona and Canada. And we need you for maybe uh, probably eight to ten weeks. I said, are you nuts? I'm the chairman of the chemical company. I can't, I can't take off eight to ten weeks. So as it turns out, I didn't do it, and uh, William Devane got the got the spot. Oh, but, uh, funny. And he's still uh, thankful. All right, we got to do we got to do our final commercial break here on Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and John Roberts. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank of Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net Hello, 
I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses. So they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. Well, we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. You're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Better Ray Whitley there in the Six Bar Cowboys. Ray Whitley. Heading back into town. Yeah, all right. All right, uh, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is J.D. Seamus, and we're on the uh, final moments of the program here. Um, my goodness, I did not realize. What it. do you got cooking there, Mr. That time. JD? What's what's what adventure have you got lined up for next? You got about a minute. <laughs> no problem. Uh, you know, right now I'm I'm back in the real estate development field, and we've got a big industrial park up in Reno we're selling, and I've got a big project in Northern California, some 3,700 homes so that we're trying to put a joint venture together with you know one of the big home builders this is kind of a, like a sun city kind of a project mm-hmm. and uh you know i've got many things going on with some other projects i'm looking at and we're still fin- wrapping up some litigation with, on a trademark infringement case i have so it's keeping me busy and between that and spending the weekends with my beautiful wife and talking to my kids and hanging out with my los caballeros cowboy buddies mm-hmm. uh just enjoying my life no, just, well, just don't forget your other cowboy buddies. Yeah. And, and just keep reading those cowboy car comic books. There you I, go. I loved Hoppy. That was my favorite Dog cowboy on it. comic book. I mean, they're the best, you know. What else can we say? <laughs> I right. tell everybody to do themselves a favor. If you're lucky, you have a cowboy in your life, 
that needs a present, buy the book Man in the Arena yeah. by David Michael Seamus. It's a fabulous read. It's funny. It's informative. And there's some stories in there you won't believe, but I can tell you they're true because I've known the man mm -hmm. for close to 40 years. And All right. And it's full of wisdom. J.D., thank you. A much. lot of wisdom. J.D., thank you much for joining us today. We thank you for having really me. really appreciate it. Todd, thank you for hooking us up with J.D. Most appreciated. Anytime. Uh, let's see. Next week, it's uh, Christmas Eve. Yes. No, it's... Seventeenth. No, it's so, the seventeenth. Two weeks. Jesus, away. man. Oh, man. I. You we know. We got. Uh, what's I, her name? Uh, I, I can't. I cannot figure it out. Uh, Christine. Christine. Yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you. Kiefner? Is that who it is? No, it's nope. uh, Kelly Payne. Kelly Payne. Is Kelly Payne. Our, our guest Kelly next Payne, week. Kelly Payne, the, the, the first CEO in the history of uh, the National Stockyards in Oklahoma City. That's right. First woman in the history of the entire cattle industry in this country. And that's running a, the largest stock uh, stockyards in the entire United States. And we'll find out that from her. Oklahoma City, right? What it takes to, to do all of that stuff. Until then, thanks for listening, everybody. And at 78, 79, ADO's Cattle Drives from Reno to who knows where. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.